We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This thing on? See, now I'm getting mad. Because it's getting ready to be on. I want my whiskey to bite me a little bit. This is the kind of psychopath that I hang out with. I got beat up outside of a Denny's. The Rockpile Report. With Buffalo Bills season ticket holder, Drew Gear. He likes to get in Max's nose. Something I can't do with this podcast because I drink too much. Chris Kruger. My rollerblading blonde mohawk producer. The pettiest, hardest drinking Bills podcast. I'm an adult. I know what I'm about. to another edition of the Rock Pal Report Podcast. I'm your host, Bill, season ticket holder, Drew Gear. That's my producer, Chris Krueger. And as our as our Draft for Dummies series rolls on, because, I mean, that's what this is this time of year. I mean, I, you guys know we have to bring in experts because I have no clue what the fuck I'm talking about. We are joined tonight by Russ Brown. To talk about the offensive line. Now, Russ, a little bit of a change since the last time. You know, what is this? You said today on Twitter, six years running, you've been joining us for this segment? I think so. I mean, I was with Cover One for five years, and I joined you guys right away off that draft. And then, the, I mean, this would be, this this summer would have been six years with Cover One. So, uh, yeah, I think it's this is number six. It's crazy to think about where we all were six years ago and the fact that we're still here <laughs> doing this. Like, it is kind of funny. Uh, guys, for those of you who don't know Russ, long-suffering Lions fan, uh, the, the kindred spirit to us Bills fans. He's a speaker and writer of football for a number of different platforms and outlets. Uh, he's a radio guy. Most recently hired is with Fantasy Pros. Yeah. So... Yeah. Why don't you dish a little bit on that and what you got coming over there? Because that seems like the most exciting, like out of all your accolades, that seems like the really exciting one right now. Yeah. I mean, it was something that uh, kind of started. I, I don't even know. Like, it's one thing I've learned is like, be on your best behavior. People are always paying attention to what you're doing. When you think they're not, they're watching. And it's like, okay, cool. And like, I just kind of stayed to the grind. I was always so focused on like, what this guy was doing, what that guy was doing. And it was like, you know what? I'm going to just worry about me and I'm going to try to get 1% better every single day. And I kept that, like that mindset basically from like COVID through now. And, uh, it all kind of worked out. Hard work kind of paid off and, uh, NFL draft analyst for fantasy pros and just, you know, a lot of mock drafts, a lot of prospect rankings, a lot of different things as far as like underrated players and, and guys that I think, you know, fit here and why and, and, and all that stuff, my draft guide, it, it is live. Uh, it's in my mock draft 2.0, but the, there's an official post coming with uh, a couple of additional players that I only watched two games of or maybe one or two games of, and I didn't put them in the NFL draft guide because you guys know me. I'm not going to fake it. I'm not going to act like I know something about a player when I haven't watched them, and I'm not one of those guys that's going to give you – 1700 prospects like it's just not like it's not real like i gave you the i I give you quality over quantity i'll give you the the best effort i got on 100 players this year i kind of go into explanation as to why it's the lowest i've done but um as we talked about pre-show there was a reason behind why Mm -hmm. i kind of was behind the eight ball but uh 
No, it's been great, man. It's been a month with Fantasy Pros. I, you know, am very grateful for everything that I was able to accomplish at Cover One and all the resources and all the things that I've learned from Eric Turner and the crew there. Um, but, you know, had to take the next step and, and Fantasy Pros is that step. And in the same time that was happening, Lions Wire of USA Today reached out to me and I got picked up there. And last month I did 19 articles in 21 days. And it was like, it was, and it's awesome. You know, it's just, it's rejuvenated me. It's given me new juices. I obviously love football, love the Lions. So to be able to mix and match between the two, it's, it's awesome. Guys, he, his content's everywhere. He's, he's one of my favorite people to talk to about the NFL draft. And he's also a guy who Chris and I were debating this off air. Six years we've been talking to each other. There's pictures of you all over social media, even from the camera angle I'm looking at you from right now. I don't know if it's intentional that you take photos and video like Tom Cruise, but I still have no idea who the f- how fucking tall you are. I can't tell if you're a short man or a tall man. And we were debating this. Yeah, Russ, I can see the look on your face. He's like, what the fuck? We were debating how tall we thought you were before you joined us. Chris says 5'10". And all I can think about is how there's a picture of you holding a baseball bat for your son. It was like, hey, look how far we've come. Eight years ago, we got you your first baseball yeah. bat. And, that's a, and you were, the bat butt was about hip height. And so I'm like, all right, maybe he's, he can't be a tall man. What is your height, Russ? <laughs> Satisfy my curiosity here. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm, I'm 5'10". Uh, oh, I, nailed it. Yeah, no, it's it's 5'10". Uh, I wish I was a little, little taller. I'm glad I'm not shorter, but... Just your uh, average male in America at 31 years old. So, and my social security number is. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's uh, so we're here talking about offensive linemen like we usually do. Um, this class for me, just as a layperson, is kind of tough to read because you look at some of the things. You know, the, the most common things we do is we find some draft resources that we tend to like. Okay, those writers seem like they know what they're talking about, or. There's you know, everyone gravitated. There's a reason Mel Kiper was so popular for so long, right? It's because he tended to be right about certain things, and he was wrong, but also he was right on a lot of things, or at least his pro- he had a process, and he would tell you about what his process is, and so you learn to respect where his thoughts took him. When you look at people like that, there's a lot of people who kind of agree that it seems like there's a small group of blue chip, chip offensive tackles, like there usually is. And some stragglers who trickle in afterwards, but then in terms of interior offensive linemen, if outside of, cause need will drive the draft. There will be teams that say, Oh my God, I have to have a center in this draft or else I'm fucked for the next, you know, two, three seasons or I'm screwed next year. I don't have a plan. So I need a guy right now, which could drive up and artificially inflate the value of a certain position. But there's a lot of people talking about how there's only maybe two to four interior offensive linemen who are worth being taken in the top 60. And so, I don't know. First of all, do you think that this class is what you would consider top heavy for an offensive line group? I I think so. It's It it definitely is. I mean, I have four offensive tackles in in my top 15, and you could make a case that one of those offensive tackles is potentially a guard at the next next level with Peter Skaronsky out of Northwestern. Uh, but at the same time, I think there's some quality interior offensive linemen. I mean, in total, I have eight on my big board uh, in my top 100 as far as interior offensive linemen, and I have uh, two of them in the top 40 in John Michael Schmitz and uh, Osiris Torrance. So I, I think you can find some really good value late in the first round and specifically early day two, middle of day two with guys like Luke Whipler from Ohio State and Joe Tipman and even potentially Steve Avila from TCU. Uh, but the deeper you go, I think it starts getting a little bit more thin. I mean, guys like Cody Mock from North Dakota State, he's, he's talented, but you start getting a little bit deeper. You know, you, you look at a player like Andrew Voorhees, he played six years of, of college football at USC, tons of experience but he tears his ACL on the field at the combine impressively puts up 38 reps with one leg uh, on the 225 bench. But the deeper you get, it just, it gets a little bit thinner. So I think if you really want an offensive lineman, you know, if you want an offensive tackle, you're going to have to move up to get potentially one of the top offensive tackles. 
And if you want an interior offensive lineman, you're more than likely going to have to take that player earlier than you normally would want to take an interior offensive lineman because the deeper you get, the shallower the position gets. And see, and that's it's interesting when you talk about that dynamic in terms of the makeup of the class. A lot of the names that you just threw at us are names that Bills fans have been talking about for a while. And there's kind of a reason for that. When you look at the the slant to these classes and the way that the Bills are kind of forced to approach this, I don't know. They have a hazy set of needs. I don't know what to make of them, really. Because mm-hmm. yeah, I've gone in previous podcasts and talked about how Buffalo has you done this year, used free agency to do the thing that Brandon Bean always seems to do. You know, 2023, we came in back in, you know, as far back as f- late February, we came in with out a starting guard. Like we didn't have a starting left guard, I believe it was. And we had no depth whatsoever on the roster. <laughs> our entire depth was not yeah. under contract. Now, if you go to ourlads.com today, right now, you can pull it up and look at it. We're three deep with experienced veteran NFL talent. Maybe not the highest end talent, obviously, because they had no money to spend. So it wasn't like they were in the running for anybody with any kind of pedigree. But they've now all of a sudden fleshed out an NFL caliber offensive line. Some of the guys have a little bit of upside. Like uh, David Edwards was a guy that I talked about. Like He's a starter for two years at a decent level for the Rams. Loses out last year due to some significant concussions. We got to see if he can come back from that. But if he can, he has he's a guy who performed really well and has a Super Bowl ring. So it's not like they went out and found street free agents who you expect that would have to go toe to toe with late round draft picks. These are guys who have played meaningful snaps in the NFL. So I don't know when you do that and you structure your line that way. It's almost like you're sending a message that, hey, I'm not going to be a huge buyer into this specific part of the market on draft day and i don't know it that approach will keep you cap solvent but it won't get you won't hit any home runs that way right you're you're not gonna be the draft is usually in terms of offensive linemen true or false if you're gonna get great value on offensive line that the where the value aligns with performance you almost have to draft those guys correct yeah no absolutely if if you if you want to excel your offensive line and, and and make your offense better, you have to spend the draft capital. It's odd and a rarity for really anybody to come out and wait till the fifth, sixth, seventh round and be like, oh, well, I took this guard out of University of Chattanooga and he's going to be a stud because – this mock draft simulator told me that. Well, not, that's not, you know, that's not the realistic way of doing the business, right? Like mm-hmm. you have to sometimes spend the premium to do it. Now, sure, you can find a diamond in the rough. Teams do it all the time in the draft. I mean, it, it happens, but realistically speaking, it, it just, it's, it's a rarity and it doesn't happen. So if the Bills feel like at any point that, hey, I need to upgrade this offensive line, I need to get a premier player at either guard spot, then they're going to have to spend the draft capital to do that. And I don't know if they're necessarily going to do that this year. I, I mean, I I will say there's, and we can get into it, there is one particular player that I think they've kind of circled in on a little bit, and it could be their first-round pick. We'll see. But um, it's a guard. But, you know, it's not going to be a sexy pick, but it's going to be something that could definitely further and advance the offensive line and, and most importantly, protect that quarterback in Josh Allen. Well, it's funny because I'm sitting here, I'm looking at the Bills' all-time draft history. We've only taken a handful of swings at offensive line in the top top like top like 60 picks, we'll call it, the first two rounds. We've only taken a handful of swings, and most of those ended really poorly. Uh, Cordy Glenn was a good player. Buddy Nix famously was like, ah, we knew he was going to be, we knew he was a tackle, blah, blah, blah. He ends up being a trade piece for us in the acquisition of Josh Allen. But beyond that, Cyrus Quanjo, I, I it killed me how wrong I was for being excited about that pick. J- John Miller, like he's a day th- he was a day two guy, average at best. I don't think he ever really started again in the NFL after he left. Deion Dawkins, which has panned out pretty well for Buffalo. 
And then a whole bunch of what Cody Ford and then all day three guys, you know, yeah. so Spencer Brown, Tommy Doyle, like Luke Tenuta. The fuck is Luke Tenuta? Get out of here. <laughs> Don't do that to me. So in that way, and it's funny because I, I, I say this all the time. Our listeners are sick of hearing it. But for your sake, Brandon Bean in 2019, you know, 2018, the Bills had to had a terrible cap situation. So they ate all of their cap woes in one year they did what the bears did this past year and said there were the couple years and said fuck it we're going to take take it on the chin for a season with a rookie quarterback who we don't think is going to have to see the field so it won't matter we'll have the second cheapest offensive line in football it Allen ended up playing and it was it wasn't a great season but it got him to 2019 where you go this quarterback has something now let's put a line in front of him and go win some football games and Brandon Bean was quoted as telling the local media that he tr- he wanted guys that he had seen play the game before. And to, to his word, he built our starting offensive line purely out of free agency. And he's pretty much done that throughout the course of his career here in Buffalo. He very rarely defers to the draft. If there was a position, especially with the makeup of this year's draft, in terms of guys who you think could step in and start, do you think there's more you know, early starters in the career at tackle outside of the top 20 picks in the first round, like, cause we're drafting 27th or at interior offensive line. I, I definitely think it's at tackle. I mean, like I said, you know, there's, there's four guys, uh, Roger Jones, Peter Skaronsky, Paris Johnson, and Darnell, Wright. I think all those guys are worthy of being in the top 15 conversation for this year's draft. But I'm fine with this this team looking potentially at Anton Harrison, Dewan Jones, uh, and, and even later in this draft if they wanted to wait till maybe the middle of the second round. I think there's a chance that a player like Matthew Bergeron from Syracuse and potentially even Tyler Steen from Pittsburgh uh, or from Alabama, excuse me, could all be there. And if they wanted to take a, a potential third or fourth round flyer on a guy, Carter Warren out of Pittsburgh is worth talking about. And I think. Everybody would know more about him had he not torn his ACL. So he's one of those types of players. If he's healthy, he can be a really valuable swing tackle. So I I think if they're going to take a swing at the offensive line in this draft, it would probably be an offensive tackle. Unless, like I said, you know, with with potentially circling in on a particular interior offensive lineman in Osiris Torrance from Florida, I think that that would be the guy that they take in the first round. And that's just off of me connecting dots and – looking at just potentially the future outlook of the offensive line. You know, you get beyond this year, you got contracts coming up, you can void contracts, you can opt out of deals. There's some uncertainty. And and even if you go beyond just this year, you go beyond 2024, there's even more uncertainty. And it's similar to, you know, the Detroit Lions. Everybody looks at the Lions and go, well, they, they brought in Cam Sutton, they they brought in Emmanuel Mosley. They don't need a corner because they they brought in two guys. Well outside of this year, they don't have anything beyond next year. Mm -hmm. So they are very much in the market for a corner at 6 or 18. And I think the same thing could be the case for the Bills in the first two rounds, that they could very much be in the market for an offensive lineman, whether it be tackle or guard. And to be honest, some of these guys, like a Matthew Bergeron, if they took him in the second round, there's some people that even myself – that believe he could be a guard at the next level. I would try him at tackle first, but he might excel as a guard because of how he operates in space because of his frame. And really he doesn't have to worry about excelling with his foot speed as quickly as he would at tackle. Mm -hmm. He could really just kind of be that plug and play guard and maul guys around. Well, I think a lot of what the bills do is going to come down to a pair of questions. Just first of all, do the Bills and do we believe that Spencer Brown can rebound after what was a disaster of a sophomore season? And do they believe that they have to find the replacement for Mitch Morse this year? Do they believe in succession planning or do they maybe there's something going on here with Ryan Bates? And this is where that center thing of yours gets interesting. Yeah, Everyone's connecting the dots to here in our fan base to this John Michael Schmitz. He's the probably, would you agree, the only complete center? Like, he could start a guard, but you could very easily put him in the pivot and expect him to excel out of this class. He's probably the most polished product at center. Yeah, absolutely. I, I really think with with the way he plays the game, I, I think there's there's so much to be desired. And, and that's why he's, you know, for me, 
uh, a top 30 player in this draft. I, I think he's a guy that could be worthy of a first-round pick because of one of his experience. But getting to talk to him at the Senior Bowl firsthand, like he's a smart dude and he's a humble dude. And you can tell that he's ready to come in, put the work in. You look obviously into the high school stuff. He's a former high school wrestler. We already know, you know, Sean McDermott's probably <laughs> licking his chops. He's probably drooling over this kid. He's walking but, around clapping at night just around his house. His wife's like, right, what, exactly. well, what are you so fired up about, Sean? He's not talking. He's just watching John Michael Schmidt's highlights and clapping. Yeah, sweating everywhere, adjusting his hat. Like, it, yeah. cheeks are rosy. Like, it, no. But, but when you put on the tape, like, he's consistent in pass protection. He's only given up two sacks in four years. Like, Primarily played as a center, but like you mentioned, you could potentially move him around. And what stood out at the Senior Bowl was when he was playing center, he would snap. but And he showed great snap-to-step quickness, but what was impressive was his ability to reach block. And when you can see a guy start right there between the A-gaps and reach and get all the way out to a 4-I and essentially hook whatever defensive end that is there or chip and get up to a linebacker and then level that linebacker into the dirt, like that's impressive stuff. And it's not as polished as we've seen from other centers. There's some refinement there, but that will come with NFL coaching. And I think he'll get there as far as being a little bit more under control and those types of things. But when you look at it, that player is not going to be there in the second round. And Anthony Prohaska of, Co- of Cover One, when, when I was on his show uh, two, three weeks ago, we talked about linebackers. And, and in my mock draft 2.0, I have the, the Bills taking Trenton Simpson, the linebacker, because I think that's the biggest need for the organization. The biggest need is trying to replace Tremaine Edmonds. Like, sure, you can bring back A.J. Klein, you have Matt Milano, and you can try to play him as the Mike, but you just don't know. But that said, Trenton Simpson, I think, is potentially the guy that you could play him as a Will, you could play him as a Mike. You're doing yourself the service of improving your your line your linebacker, but your defense. And we were getting into it, and people were commenting because it was you know live on YouTube and stuff, and everybody was like, you, you can get him in the second round and we can move back and then take him and then get John Michael Schmitz. And I'm like, you got, it's, this isn't sorry. Oh it's not going to happen. Guys. It's not going to happen. <laughs> so I think if they're going to circle in on guys, you know, I think Trenton Simpson's on their radar. I think Osiris Torrance is there. And certainly John Michael Schmitz, when you connect the dots to his background of wrestling and then just the, the type of player that he is. And as you mentioned, and to your point earlier, you said something in regards to, they don't want to get guys that don't know NFL football. They want guys that have played it, and they want to get those established guys. And John Michael Schmitz might not have played NFL football yet, but he's a four-year starter that played in the Big Ten against some NFL-ready dudes. So that's, there's, I there's think only, that's yeah, we we in fact what you're talking about right now. That's a that's a it's something that came up when we had Brett Coleman on a week or two ago, talking about defensive linemen and how. Depending on the type of guy you're looking for, there are certain conferences, or maybe it was Chris, or maybe it was defensive backs with uh, Bruce Nolan. I don't know. What what I know is I, I made the point that there maybe it was defensive backs. So I was talking about how there's certain conferences where you have to play a certain style of football. If you're coming out of the Big Twelve, you're coming out of the Pac-12. Playing D, it was a defensive conversation, but I was saying playing defense in that style, that type of a conference against that type of competition, it's now teams are banking on traits that they think they can make fit a pro-style scheme, especially offensive linemen and tight ends. Whereas if you're in a, if you're in the Big Ten, if you're in the SEC, there is a lot of ground and pound that goes on here. There are a lot of pro-style nuances to those offenses and to the way those, a lot of those teams at the top, the teams who are the most successful in those conferences play football that there's a reason that there's so many drafted players out of those schools going to the NFL. It's because they're the ones who mirror what the NFL does the closest, mm-hmm. right? So yeah. then in that way, it is nice to see John Michael Schmitz coming out of a conference like that where you can point to and say, you're not going to, you're not going to show him anything he hasn't seen. It might be faster. It might take acclimation. He might have to refine his skill set to catch up with the speed at the next level, but it's not brand new to him. These aren't unfamiliar mm-hmm. concepts. He's not he's taking a, it's not a conference where you're taking every snap out of into the you're not snapping in shotgun every single snap. Like Well, and, and the thing to add to that is just seeing him at the senior bowl, like that's a big week for all those guys, as we all know. And they're all getting acclimated to the football speed that is down mm-hmm. there because they're playing against guys that will be on the field. Pretty much sense. like 
yeah, like 90% of them are getting drafted. And when they play against, you know, Northwestern on a, on a Saturday afternoon, yeah, there's probably a good chance they're not playing against all NFL draft prospects. When you go down there and you get acclimated and you have as strong of a week as he did, that I mean, that, to me, that's just impressive stuff. And I, I think it, it's what stood out the most with him. And I really think he's a guy that makes a lot of sense. And I'm glad we're talking about him because I don't think enough people talk about him as a potential first-round option for the Buffalo Bills because I'm going to be honest, I think he's a potential option for the New York Giants in the first round as well. And I – I think there's I think there's a good chance he's he's gone by by the beginning of day two. What about this center out of uh, I believe it's Penn State? I know the Bills have met with him. Uh, Jesus, I'm trying to find his name here in this list. I'm looking because I Juice Scruggs. Yes, uh, I was like I didn't want to I didn't want to call him because I was like I remember thinking that it sounds like a character out of a movie. That doesn't sound like a real name. That yeah. sounds like something you make up yeah. like, like like you're a bit character in a crime movie. Yeah. Uh, but but realistically, Juice Scruggs, where do you see him in terms of the prospect caliber? Like, is this them? Because they met with both of them. John Michael Schmitz, Juice Scruggs. Is this them kind of checking, like, okay, we've seen the high end. Now, here's a guy that we think we have a grade on somewhere in the middle. Let's see how far off we are. That's 100% what it is. And And when you look at teams visit trackers, it's important to pay attention to the position, not necessarily the player. Yes. Look, look at the position. Like you take the, the Pittsburgh Steelers, for example, like top 30 visits, talking with Jim Nagy, top 30 visits aren't necessarily a real thing in the NFL. It's just a thing for the media because, as we know, teams only get 30 players that they can bring in. That's yep. why it's called that. So most NFL teams just call it a pre-draft visit. But that said, you look at the Pittsburgh Steelers, for an example, Eight of their 30 visits were all cornerbacks this year. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Cheer, and it was all the top end guys. So that that tells me that they're looking at a corner potentially in the first round. You look at the New York Giants. There's a significant amount of corners in their pre-draft visits from Cam Smith to Darius Rush to Deontay Banks. I mean, Joey Porter Jr., the list goes on. So there's a good chance they're looking at corner potentially for Wink Martindale. You look here, John Michael Schmitz, Juice Scruggs, not a lot of centers in this draft. You could talk about Ricky Stromberg out of Arkansas a little bit if needed, but that's the high end, the low end. You hit the nail on the head there. And I think with Juice, I mean, I've only watched one game, and I saw a little bit of his Shrine Bowl practices when I was watching that down at the Senior Bowl. He's a guy that's really powerful. He latches onto, onto defenders really well. He's got strong hands. He put up 29 reps in the combine. I, I think there's a lot to be desired. And when I talk to, you know, some of the guys from the Shrine Bowl, the, the guys that were scouting assistants and things like that, they said he met with just about every single team down there. And there's a lot of buzz around him as an early day three pick. So I think there's potential for that to happen for him. So maybe that's the direction that the Bills go and they take that guy, they let him get acclimated and they build everything up and hope that he's there somewhere on, on early day three. Uh, but if I, I mean, if I had to pick, just off of just what I saw from the one game compared to the three or four games of John Michael Schmitz, I'm taking JMS. <laughs> Which it sounds like a lot of people would do. A lot of people listening to this podcast would say to themselves, I'd feel a lot better if the Bills came out of here. Chris, it's been about making the offense better, right? Yeah. Okay. You got to make the offense better. We don't have, like you said earlier, we're just building everything through the off- 
through free agency on the offensive line. Which like, is fine. You, well, it's you, fine. You'll you get draft him. Wyatt Teller, and then you trade him, and then you draft Cody Ford, and he's shit, and then you just get scared away from drafting that position. See, I, I love how Chris... And then just, you pass on Creed Humphrey to take Carlos back. Dude, you don't even know. Oh, my gosh. So I had gotten my second COVID shot that night, and I'm watching the draft happen, and my entire... Like, the bottoms of my feet hurt. Like, everyone knows what the side effects of that shit's like. And I'm sitting on the couch. I'm fighting for consciousness because I'm just like, I just took a bunch of painkillers. I was like, all right, Jesus, take the wheel. Hopefully the Bills don't fuck this up. And when the Bills hit the clock, I literally said out loud, like, I made a noise of just, like, contempt. And my wife, I'll never forget this, she looked at me and went, what's wrong? And I was like, the fucking, I go, the Kansas City Chiefs are going to get Boogie Basham, another fucking edge rusher that they don't need, because it had never occurred to me that the Bills wouldn't take Humphrey if he was available. So then the Bills draft Basham, and immediately the pick is in, and it's Creed Humphrey. And my the look on my it must have been something on my face. My wife looked at me and was like, "What's what's wrong?" I thought I thought that was the thing you were just. I thought that was the thing you wanted. And I was like, I I was so angry I couldn't talk to her, and I just rolled over and like stuffed my face into the couch cushions and went to sleep. I was like, I can't talk to you or anyone about this, and I'm too tired to yell, so I'm just going to sleep. Yeah, I'll always remember that. Me and Anthony were on the. Uh cover one draft show that day and we were sitting there and he, we all thought Creed Humphrey or, and we were just like Creed, Creed, Creed. And then that was the pick. And I was like, Oh boy. Oh boy. Cause I didn't see it with Carlos. If I'm going to be honest, like no one did. I hope it worked. It, it, it is not yeah, hope, hope it works out, but I don't know. I don't see it. Okay. So like in that way, like now I'm going to, I just feel like I'm going to be the guy who has flashbacks to that moment. If we're there on the clock at, you know, 27 and you go, he's there, no one's taking him. We could, in theory, secure the pivot for when you have a starting guard now. Now you, you're not running a tryout for who's going to be your starting right guard. You can come in and say, okay, we have our left guard that we paid $8 million on a three year deal. Now we have our right guard. And next year when Mitch Morse retires, we have our starting center, and that's going to – I mean, the, Chris, you watched them do that with Deion Dawkins. Yep. Deion Dawkins filled in for injury because they had – they had um, we just mentioned his name, Cordy Glenn. And then the second Glenn was gone, he was the left tackle. And they said, look, that was the succession plan. I wouldn't be shocked if it's on their minds the second time around, seeing how the growth of Deion Dawkins went, that they could do that. And I think a lot of it hinges on what they think of Ryan Bates. If they think Ryan Bates is better suited as just being a guard, after having watched him have to step in and play center, maybe they say, look, we need a premium center and a guard with mobility. That gives us the best chance to win. That's where a pick like John Michael Schmitz becomes probably the best move for the direction of this offense going forward. Because you could draft all the wide receivers you want, if you can't get the ball to them, or if your quarterback's on the sideline or playing with a torn UCL because you can't protect him, then really how effective are you? Yeah. And I guess to that end, tackle. Because, Chris, it was the right tackle position that blew that yeah. that block that got Josh Allen injured in that Jets game. Spencer Brown is a curious case. He had a decent rookie season that made us all pretty excited about what his future could be foot injury combined with a back injury which is when you're a tall offensive lineman like that like he's an athletic freak but he's tall and he's long and he's 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 a huge dude but i don't know the mechanics of offensive line like yeah you're flexing a lot you bend a lot your feet carry more weight than the average offensive lineman or average human being for that matter those things maybe he bounces back and I think that if the GM genuinely and truly believes that, then they probably don't take the offensive tackle high. But at the same time, in 86% of the previous year's snaps, he allowed three more sacks, <laughs> 12 more pressures, like half the games. Like, what? this isn't good. It was yeah. It was a really disappointing turnaround. And I guess the question is, 
if there's a guy out there that you could take not to be a starter, right? Like you're not going to draft. Like I, I know the kid out of uh, what's his face there. I'm, I'm going to pull up the list here. Darnell Wright. That's been a popular one that's been mocked to the Bills a lot. And then Greg Thompson from Cover One tweets out. He goes, listen, having watched this guy's tape, having watched him play, having watched everything. I don't know. I could still see a world where he's still splitting time for a chunk of the season with Spencer Brown. And if Spencer Brown does rebound, now you just put a hat on a hat. Who are some of the depth guys specifically for right tackle that you think could over the course of a season or over the course of maybe as an insurance policy for 2024, but also provide better swing tackle depth this year? Who do you like in that category? I'm going to say Carter Warren from Pittsburgh leads the way for me. Um, he was a guy that I talked about quite a bit last year. He ended up coming back, and obviously he has you know overall a, a pretty decent start to the year. He played four games, and then he ended up tearing his meniscus. And he should be ready to go by the start of the season, but he's 6'5", 35-inch arms, almost 36-inch arms. And arm length isn't the above-all, be-all, but you don't have to worry about you know, is, is a defensive end creating separation on this guy and he's able to, you know, post-club rip or, or push-pull or, or whatever it might be. He's athletic, though, and he can play, I think, either tackle spot. And with that length, he's got quick feet. He's got a very good anchor uh, to match up against power rushers. I think he shows really good balance and, and body control when, trans, uh, when transferring his weight from his post foot to his set foot. And I think, you know, with his hands, he's able to strike relatively quick and he's consistent, too. So I think when you look at him and, and just kind of researching deeper into it, he's got tremendous praise for his leadership. He was a team captain. So the biggest thing is just he's got somewhat of a thinner lower half, so he might have to get a little bit stronger, recovering from injury. He'll be 25 in January of uh, you know 2024, so he'll be a little bit older, but I think there's some swing tackle ability there. Now, hey, there's I, one player I, I, I that- want to stop you before that. Chris, he just said Warren McClendon. Yeah. Why don't Got, you go ahead and look at my notes? Yeah, Warren McClendon is listed on Drew's notes of player of interest. Suck this it, is Chris. like the second week in a row that Drew's had a guy written on uh, his notes that I the analyst... I said Carter Warren. Oh, Carter, Carter Warren? Warren? Okay. <laughs> All right, I was like, All right, there it is. We're both deaf then. No, Carter Warren. Okay. Warren McClendon is a guy I like. What do you yeah. think about him in terms of his ability to translate to an offense that requires a lot of pass pro? Because it, I mean, I just I you know I just I watch a lot of SEC football. Georgia's offense this year was very they threw the ball a lot more, especially with Stetson Bennett. Like he had a good year, but he's always protected by the fact that that team can and will run the ball down your throat, and that's how they're designed. Yeah. So with that in mind, it kind of skews the projection of those types of players. You know, who don't have, you, know, you look at some of the, you know, the best guys, right? Like, they're, Broderick Jones is the best tackle in the class, according to some people. Sure, because he has all the traits. But once you get beyond having high end traits and you just go to, okay, well, he was a right tackle for a team that won the national title. Yeah, but that doesn't mean that he just seamlessly translates to the NFL. He might have a rougher go because there's not a lot of teams who run the ball as much as Georgia did in the NFL. Yeah. Yeah, he wasn't a player I watched in depth, but I watched him at the Senior Bowl. And down there, I even watched film with a buddy. And we watched him for the night just to kind of get familiar with him. Because the first day, he kind of stood out a little bit. I was like, oh, there's a Georgia kid down here. And so you you look a little bit deeper into it, and you start paying attention to him. And I, I thought he had relatively quick feet from time to time. But then there were other times where it was like really inconsistent. And then there was times where... Transferring his weight wasn't there. His, his feet were sluggish, but he's got such a thin lower half. Like his 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 calves are like they almost look like thinner than mine. Like I wonder if he was a former basketball player. I haven't researched it or anything like that. But I do wonder, like, was he a former power forward that ended up taking on football because of his size and things like that? But I, I think he's intriguing. But I mean, if I had to pick, I would probably take Carter Warren or a guy that I finally got to watch in a little bit last night. Uh, Nick sold a very from Old Dominion, a six foot six, uh, 318 pound guard tackle type of player, uh, that I thought moves really well for, for his size. And when I watched him get up to the second level, I mean, he's able to redirect defenders. 
He's able to steer them. He's able to get those guys, wash them clear. And, and it's, it's impressive stuff from him. I, I'm going to watch more. I'll probably post some clips of it uh, on Twitter tonight. But uh, I, I like him a little bit. And I know a lot of people in kind of the, the draft circle like him quite a bit. I know Eric Turner is quite the fan as well. So uh, I think there's, there's a lot to be desired there. And maybe that's a player that would be on their radar. Would Andrew Voorhees be worth the wait for a team like Buffalo, who has a glut of veteran talent already signed to the roster, and what do you think the – I mean, I guess what is his long-term projection in your mind in the NFL? Yeah, I think he's a guard, definitely a guard at the next level. I mean, he's my my 100th-ranked prospect, and really I I put him at 100. I, I could have easily put Keandre Miller there out of TCU, but I, I gave Voorhees the benefit of the doubt that had he not torn his ACL, he would be kind of a lock for you know a top 100 pick more than likely, but he's probably going to more so fall into that fourth round, fifth round, maybe even sixth round range. But I see more of a guard and I see a guy that when he's on, man, is he on like he's got over 3,400 career snaps. He can reset his hands. And there's some clips that I put out there. I put kind of a highlight reel of like three Mm -hmm. minutes of clips on him. And the dude is, can get nasty. And like last year was definitely better. I thought than this year he plays with plenty of torque. But it's just the injury history. I mean, he had a torn ACL uh, or uh, knee cartilage surgery back in uh, the spring of 2018. He had an ankle surgery back in 2019. So there's, you know, there's some concerns there as far as lower body quickness and then just longevity because, again, he's an older player. Um, But at the same time, you've got to love the strength. You've got to sometimes look at it and say, hey, you you could get this veteran-type player from the college ranks, bring him in. And when I'm in a pinch, he could be a great depth piece. And when I'm in a pinch, potentially, if Mitch Morse goes down, i got to move somebody to center and I need that plug-and-play guard as a, as a day three pick, Voorhees makes sense. And I think he kind of fits uh, Buffalo, if, especially if they want to start establishing the run game. He's going to open up rushing lanes all day long. So with all of this being said, there's one thing, a question I want to end the show with, and it's, we call it, Chris, the Greg Little Award? Yeah. The, the Greg Little Award. Can we just get into it right now? Right now. Let's do it. Here we go. The answer to your question is because he's not very fucking good. That's the question. <laughs> like, that's the answer to your question. He, he's, not, he's not good. It, like, like I said, the very first thing that you look for in an offensive lineman is hand placement. His hand placement is consistently outside every single time, and he instantly has to go to, like, reset – recover and you know he he does not look like he's very strong does not look like he can can do a lot of things whether it's reach blocking or down blocking very little control more times than not and he has very little grip strength which is key to me like Jawan Taylor has some of the best the best grip strength in the class Um, and then just when your hand placement is inconsistent and you have mediocre grip strength I don't see how you can always instantly have to go to recovery mode and then you can't really recover because you don't have the hand strength to do it that's russ brown on our podcast what was it 18 when we draft cody ford it was it was the it was yeah no it was either 2018 or 2019 2019 that was the draft and i'll never forget that because first of all i love how candid you were I also like how correct your assessment of his skill set was because later on that preseason, we watched Voshan Joseph, failed middle linebacker pick for the Buffalo Bills, put him on roller skates. Like, a 225-pound linebacker shouldn't be able to do that to you as a tackle. And then this season, we got to watch him. You know, you watch how he's kind of just struggled his way through the NFL. But he keeps finding starts. (laughs) He keeps finding starts. And... It's like, I mean, I don't think he would have made it if the Dolphins' injuries weren't so bad and the roster just wasn't so poorly constructed on the offensive line. The Greg Little Award. Who is the player that you believe out of this class is going to get drafted, will be drafted, and yet will absolutely struggle at the next level? Does it have to be an offensive lineman? You know what? Well, Pick one offensive lineman. And then I'll let I, cause I'm interested where your head's already going. <laughs> I, I okay. want to hear, I want to hear your second candidate. 
Yeah, so with the offensive line, you know, it's tough. I I like a lot of the offensive linemen that I watched this year, which is kind of different than most years. I mean, you could could say Andrew Voorhees just simply because he's already behind the eight ball because of the injuries, but I'm not going to do that because I'm going to try to give him the benefit of the doubt. I'm going to go with a guy that is not your prototypical offensive tackle when you look at size, and that's Dewan Jones. Six foot eight, 374, damn near 37-inch arms. Like, that's great. But there's times, and, and he was a guy that went down to the senior bowl. He had a very good first day, and then basically was like, deuces, I'm out, moving forward. And I get it, but he's no guarantee to go in the first round. So he could very well go in that Greg Little range, you know, somewhere between like picks 25 through 40 or whatever that range was. It's possible. But he plays with a heavy lean, which is concerning when you're 6'8", 374. He doesn't have the most, you know, fastest feet in the world the foot speed's going to get tested he gets his hands a, a little bit too wide it leads to penalties he's had 16 over the last two seasons wow. so i think he's you know i like the experience i like the frame i like how he can maul the def- defenders and he uses his length to really ride defenders out and clear them out of the pocket i love all of that but at the same time i mean you look at makai becton his frame isn't able to withstand, you know, the, the, the football speed and the, the game that it is because his lower body starts failing them because his knees start giving out, hips start going bad. Yep. The same thing could potentially happen here. Not, not saying it will happen. I'm hoping it doesn't happen. But as the 53rd ranked player on my board, my sixth ranked tackle, I can think of, you know, a, a couple of different tackles that I'd probably swing for. Uh, but by far, the player that would be at that spot would be Keon White out of Georgia Tech, the edge rusher. Uh, I've been pretty adamant about it. I don't see it with him. I think he leans very heavily into the opposition. His motor, to me, runs very hot and cold. A lot of people want to post stuff about, you know, a game against North Carolina or Duke. And, like, that's fine. I think he had six or seven sacks last year. Three of them came against North Carolina. So damn near half of his production came in one game. And it's like, that's like, that's cool. There's great power with his game. Yeah. There's great power with his game, but he's a former tight end. He's converted over to defensive end. And when you look at him, um, you know, he's still very raw for the position. I think there's a lot of power behind him. And when he's on and he really pursues, he can be a dangerous player, but it's when he wants to turn it on for me, I don't, you know, that's not really my thing. Like, I, I, I'm not saying I've coached at the highest level of football by any means, but I study this stuff religiously. I've coached for a long time, and I want guys that go after it and get it. And seeing him at the Senior Bowl, like, there were times that just standing on the sidelines, he was out of breath. Like, he was winded. And it was like, okay, you were playing from 260 to 293 pounds. I, like, I don't know if, if you're what your playing weight is in that to me reminds me of like players like Carlos Basham where their upper body's a little bit like sloppy and like they're just, they, they just don't look like they're conditioned to be a consistent presence off the edge. So I, I I see Mox where he's going in the first round. He's going to be in Kansas city next week for the opening round. There's, I did a, I did a show in green Bay today and they were saying like, is there a chance he's our guy at 15? And I'm like, it, it kind of screams Green Bay, and I'm going to be honest. I hope he is your guy. Because <laughs> I, I, I don't. I just don't see it with him. There's no real counter moves. It's just all speed to power, and really, it's all power. So, if somebody wants to take him in the first round, I could see the Chiefs doing it. I could see it panning out there, but ultimately, Keon White would probably be the the player for me. I can't wait to go back and revisit this audio in like four years. It's <laughs> like this is awesome. Cause that's what I, 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 the, the way that you just out of nowhere hit Greg Little and we're just spot on about it. See, it's that, that's one of the things that, that's when I knew your analysis and your process. Like we started the show talking about how the people that you tend to lean on for draft talk when you're the average fan, like Chris and I, it's because you understand their process, but then you've also watched that process and the way that they handle their own personal scouting and things like that. You've watched it bear fruit. And that was yours. That was that, that was your shining moment. It was when you nailed Greg Little. So I'm always interested to see how that falls in your mind. And it's one of the reasons we bring you back here to talk about this stuff specifically every single year. I love that you make time for us. I love that you seem excited to do it for as tired as you must be with all the shit you're dealing with. 
why don't you tell everybody where they can follow you on Twitter and then just because you've got a million things going on. You've got a spot on the radio later tonight. You've got published works coming up. Just kind of hit everybody with what you got. Yeah, so you can find me on Twitter at Russ NFL Draft. Uh, smash the follow button. I, I'm fairly certain at this point, most of Bill's Mafia that's on Twitter probably follows me at this yes. point just simply because of everything with Cover One for so long. But uh, if you're new here, feel free to follow me. There's always football content for me year-round. But uh, all my posted work is on fantasypros.com for NFL draft stuff. If you're into the Lions or you just kind of want a different perspective and, and maybe some film breakdowns there on the Lions or prospects that they're looking at, uh, you can go to the lionswire.com. And there's stuff there through USA Today with the Lions Wire. Um, but other than that, I mean, it's pretty much cut and dry on Twitter for me. And, you know, I always enjoy doing this show. We've been doing it for a long time. I look forward to doing it next year. And, you know, eventually at some, at some point, I'm going to get out to Buffalo to go to a game. We're going to party. We're going to have some fun. Um, and and we'll, we'll do it upright. But I always appreciate it. It's, it's been a lot of fun. And then, uh, you know, just for, for people out there that if, you know, they want some some content as far as scouting reports and in-depth stuff uh, on players. If you want to learn about Broderick Jones having a, a shoe size of 17 and having a nickname of Big Silly, uh, you can find the draft guide on FantasyPros.com. It's in my mock draft 2.0, but there's going to be official article dropping either tonight or tomorrow morning uh, in regards to three or four underrated players that I really like that I couldn't get in the draft guide because I didn't study enough tape on those players but there'll be a link in there free to download. Uh, I never ask anybody for, for payment of my draft guide. It's free. Um, and, and with that, I mean, if you want to send me beer money, people are always like, hey, what's your Venmo? Please don't send it to me. I, I have enough beer. I have enough money for that. Please send it to the charities that I have listed on the second page of the draft guide, partnering up with Wounded Warriors Project and the Ronald McDonald House Charities. Wounded Warrior Project is for veterans as they've gone through some very tough times in life through combat and things like that. Please support them. I mean, without them, us sitting here bullshitting wouldn't even be a, a possibility. Damn and straight. then, you know, for the for the Ronald McDonald House, um, you know, that's just a, a charity to, that provides care and support for families with sick children. Um, if you have kids and if, if you're going through that, I'm truly sorry. You know, I'm, I'm very fortunate and very blessed, and I can't imagine what that would be like. So, you know, I, I just want to give back to the people that need it. And, you know, sick kids and veterans, I mean, it, it's just let's let's show some support to them. So if you want to send beer money, send it their way and, and send a screenshot to me on Twitter at Russ NFL Draft uh, showcasing that you got the guide and you sent the donation. Shit. I See, look at this. He's He's charitable. He's 5'10". He knows a ton about offensive. He's 5'10". He's charitable, and he knows a ton about offensive linemen in the NFL draft. Guys, I love doing this. This is always a great show with Russ, but for tonight, we got to get the hell out of here. I'm Drew Gear. That's Chris Krueger. That's Russ Brown. And this has been your Rock Pile Report.